and welcome to Amazing Tales from Off and On Connecticut's Beaten Path. I'm Mike Allen, here with another story about historically significant people, places, and events from Connecticut's long and fabled past. Today on Amazing Tales, we're going to be wrapping up our two-part series on P.T. Barnum, one of Connecticut's most famous residents. P.T. Barnum, the venerable entrepreneur and showman, brought us the greatest show on earth, the Barnum and Bailey Circus. We're going to be discussing that, as well as some fascinating nuggets regarding his hometown of Bethel, Connecticut. My guest will be the town historian of Bethel, Pat Wild, and the executive director of the Danbury Museum and Historical Society, Bridget Girton. She'll be talking about Barnum's connection to Danbury. And now, the final episode of The Greatest Showman on Earth, P.T. Barnum. In part one of this two-part series on P.T. Barnum, we focused on how Barnum got most of his moxie from his maternal grandfather, Phineas Taylor, which is what the P.T. and P.T. Barnum stands for. Barnum's grandfather taught his son early on about practical joking. His grandfather, a well-known realtor in Bethel, Connecticut in the 1800s, gave young P.T. a deed for a piece of real estate when he was just 12 years old. He told him that the deed to Ivy Island, which would legally become his on his 21st birthday, would bring him great respect and that people would be envious for his land holding. When P.T. Barnum went to check out the land a few years later, when curiosity got the better of him, he nearly drowned. Ivy Island was a mosquito and hornet-infested piece of swampland. Its value was useless. Well, almost. We'll come back to that in a moment. Pat Wild is Bethel's town historian, and he says P.T. Barnum was a whiz with numbers. He had attended a one-room schoolhouse on Greenwood Avenue in Bethel. That's the same street where he was born. One time, he was admitted for a single year to what was known as the Academy on Main Street in Danbury. It was a very prestigious educational facility. He had to walk the six-mile round trip from his home in Bethel, and the school was six days a week. But Pat says he always stood out in one subject above all others. He was an amazing mathematician, especially with the, the numbers had dollar signs in front of them. In fact, Pat says he was such a whiz at numbers that his father was bragging about that to a friend who was visiting one night. The friend had just purchased some lumber for a project and he wasn't sure he had enough. P.T. Barnum's father, Philo Barnum, said, well, my son could figure that out for you in less than 10 minutes. And the son scoffed and said, or the friend that scoffed and said, no, there's no way you could do that. They got P.T. out of bed. They showed him the numbers. And in less than five minutes, he had the exact figure for the man. In his autobiography, Pat says that Barnum admitted he hated physical labor. In fact, he called himself lazy. He said he liked brain work instead, figuring things out. Growing up, Barnum worked at the businesses that his father ran, and his father ran quite a few. There was the general store, a local tavern, and even a livery stable where people could store their horses or rent one. He worked in these enterprises until his father died, when P.T. Barnum was just 16 years old. After that, he worked about a mile from his home in a store that was just across the street from where today's iconic Sycamore Restaurant is located at the busy intersection of Route 53 and Greenwood Avenue. From there, he spent a year working at a store in Brooklyn, New York, 
but his grandfather, Phineas Taylor, who was still very much alive, missed him and wrote him a letter with a proposal. I am willing to rent you half of my carriage house for use as a store. Why don't you come back to Bethel? Well, the letter convinced Barnum to return to Bethel, and he opened a store in his grandfather's carriage house. But then he saved enough money to open his own store, known as the Yellow Store. It was his most successful business venture in the town of Bethel. Using his ingenuity and his knack for numbers, P.T. Barnum started a lottery, and it would become wildly successful. However, the state of Connecticut soon outlawed lotteries, and so Barnum had to shut down that part of his operation. But Barnum had dreams, and his number one pursuit was to open his own museum in New York City. It would be a place where he could feature all the unusual attractions and performers he could amass. He eyed a location in southern Manhattan, across the street from today's New York City Hall. He met with the building's owners to try to cut a deal. When he was basically just getting started in New York, he wanted to purchase a museum known as Scudder's Museum. And he didn't really quite have the finances. And so the people who own the museum said, well, we're not really satisfied with what you have. Uh, is there any property that you own that you could put up for collateral? And then P.T. remembered his worthless piece of swamp known as Ivy Island. And again, he kind of gilded the lily and said, well, I have a very valuable piece of property in Danbury that's known as Ivy Island, and I would be more than willing to put that up. So it would turn out that Ivy Island was actually responsible for giving Barnum the first big break in his career. That's what sealed the deal and allowed him to buy what became Barnum's American Museum. It was the American Museum that built Barnum into one of the very first millionaires in the United States. Barnum employed Bridgeport resident Charles Stratton, who would be branded as General Tom Thumb, a three-foot-tall dwarf with incredible stage presence and a great sense of humor. Barnum also hired some Siamese twins, as they were called in the day. Today, co-joined individuals at birth have the opportunity to be surgically separated, in the 1800s, that simply wasn't an option. Pat says that in reviewing Barnum's museum today with 21st century eyes, his acts may seem abhorrent and somewhat cruel. In those days, however, he says that people looked at things through a different moral compass. Working for Barnum, if you had a disability that people would pay to see, meant one thing, a great big paycheck. By being exhibited by Barnum, they became really wealthy uh, for the time period, and they were eventually able to retire to North Carolina and to buy their own farm. Uh, each of the twins married. They had their own wives, their own children, and they used to take turns living at one of the brothers' home one week and the other brothers' home the second week. Another famous attraction at Barnum's American Museum was the so-called Fat Lady, who incidentally is buried in Brookfield, Connecticut. Barnum featured a number of very popular attractions, including the very first aquarium. He started the flea circus. He had the Fiji mermaid, which was actually a mummified monkey's torso with a fish's tail sewn on. He featured high-wire trapeze acts, magicians and ventriloquists, exotic animals, including Grizzly Adams' trained bears, performances by Native Americans, and even pretty baby contests. 
Barnum's American Museum attracted 38 million visitors from around the world in 24 years of operation, bringing in about $40 million. As news of his success came back to Bethel, the locals, says Pat Wild, were not at all surprised. Even when he was a little kid, I think that a lot of the people in town said, this is somebody you're going to hear about. Pat says P.T. Barnum had a tremendous imagination, and he had a way of figuring out how to make things successful, even when other people could not. When he did go into business, he could take something that somebody else had tried and wasn't able to make a go of, and he would come up with a new angle and he would completely turn around and he would make the business profitable. Barnum found himself settling in Bridgeport, where he built several very opulent mansions. Only one is even partially standing today, and that's because it was taken over by a local college as part of its campus expansion plans. Pat says there was one nemesis that dogged Barnum his entire life. Fire was uh, just uh, an enemy that returned time and time again. Fire destroyed several of Barnum's most famous structures. His yellow retail store in Bethel, which was rebuilt by subsequent owners to look almost exactly like the original. His famous American Museum in New York City burned down in what was said at the time to be one of the most spectacular blazes in city history since the Revolutionary War days. His massive and heralded mansion in Bridgeport, called Iranistan, burned to the ground, and his circus headquarters building in Bridgeport was also destroyed by fire. And yet Barnum's resilience always paid off. He would simply pick himself up by the bootstraps out of the ashes and start over again. For all the talk about P.T. Barnum's American Museum, the biggest ongoing misconception about him is his association with the circus. Here's Pat Wild. When you stop people on the street and ask them, do you know who P.T. Barnum is? They'll all say, well, he's the man who started the circus. <laughs> Circuses had been around going back to the time of ancient Rome. So he didn't invent the circus. And he was not really a circus man for most of his career. That was really the latter part of his life. In fact, the Barnum and Bailey Circus didn't come to life until Barnum was 61 years old. In his early 20s, Barnum went to work for a Danbury man named Aaron Turner. Turner was the first Connecticut resident to own a traveling circus. Bridget Gurton, executive director of the Danbury Museum and Historical Society, says Lower Main Street in Danbury used to be the center of the city, the area around Elmwood Park. It was where Aaron Turner's headquarters were located. Turner was the man who taught P.T. Barnum about the circus, employing Barnum for a couple of years as his bookkeeper for the traveling show. The Turner presence on the Main Street corridor and within the Danbury community was uh, intense. I mean, he was a larger-than-life figure, uh, not quite as flamboyant um, as the P.T. Barnum uh, we've all come to know, uh, but a, a sincere sensation of his time. And, uh, you know, we have all these wonderful stories of uh, P.T. Barnum's uh, circus folk friends coming to visit, uh, practicing their acts uh, as the weather started to break on, in Elmwood Park uh, for small groups of people to come and, and view. Turner would store his exotic circus animals at locations all over Danbury, including some behind his Main Street house. When Turner died, he was the wealthiest person in Danbury. 
That huge house was across the street from the old Danbury City Jail, the one where P.T. Barnum served his time for libel. After he passed away and it passed out of the family hands, became the Turner um, Inn, the Turner Hotel, eventually Knights of Columbus, uh, then it was torn down, empty car lot, and uh, now we have Walgreens. <laughs> Bridget says there's no doubt that Barnum picked up his earliest insights into how to run a circus from Aaron Turner. It would be something that Barnum would return to when he started his own enterprise, the Barnum and Bailey Circus. Pat Wilde says that everything that Barnum had learned, both from Turner as well as from running his American Museum in New York, had prepared him for his circus days. After the American Museum burned down, Barnum opened a second facility on Fifth Avenue around today's Soho District. That, too, was destroyed by fire. It was then that he realized that his acts, including his hugely popular Jumbo the Elephant, had to go on the road. That's what Barnum, at age 61, started the Barnum and Bailey Traveling Circus. Like everything that Barnum led, it became a huge success. He started using circus trains to get from town to town, and through that association he grew to know Cornelius Vanderbilt, one of the railroad tycoons of those days. Now, Vanderbilt used to store his trains in southern Manhattan on Madison Avenue between 26th and 27th Streets. Then the city of New York passed a law in 1874 saying no trains below 42nd Street. And that's why Grand Central Station was built on 42nd Street. Now, Vanderbilt had to sell his train yard and Barnum bought it. Barnum ended up building something he called the Great Roman Hippodrome. It was a full city block in size with a huge tent over it. There were 10,000 seats inside and a large ring featuring chariot races when the season permitted. In a great piece of trivia, it was that block that Barnum later sold to somebody else. And that person turned the block into a big, long garden on Madison Avenue. And yes, it would be that parcel where the first Madison Square Garden was built. Once again, Barnum's resilience and refusal to let any hurdles stop his progress helped him in his circus years. He had been one of the first Americans to import an elephant into the United States. He had bought Jumbo from the London Zoo in England to the great regret of the British public. Pat Wilde says that tragedy struck when the circus was on the road. Unfortunately, at one point when Jumbo was being exhibited up in Ottawa, Canada, they were moving the circus animals off the train and they had to cross the tracks and as they were doing that another train came out of nowhere and struck jumbo and killed him well to anybody else that incident would have spelled doom and disaster but the pt barnum it spelled opportunity we're going to take jumbo's remains we're going to have his uh skin stuffed and we're going to have a stuffed jumbo. And then we're going to take all of his bones and we're going to have them assembled as a second exhibit. And we're going to place them side by side at the circus and call it the double jumbo. And if that wasn't enough. He also you know, found a small elephant that he claimed was jumbo's child. And he found a female elephant that he called Jumbo's Widow, and he just really made the most of what other people would have seen as a pure tragedy. After all was said and done, P.T. Barnum was a true example of local boy makes good. 
The good folks of Bethel never forgot their most famous native son, and he never forgot them. Barnum returned frequently to Bethel to visit his friends, according to Pat, and there were several occasions where it was quite public and captured in the newspapers. At one point, for example, the local congregational church had suffered heavy fire damage, and he offered to give a lecture to raise funds to rebuild it. His lecture, which he developed solely for that occasion, but then repeated many times later, was called The Art of Money-Getting. On another occasion, he had obtained an ornate bronze fountain in one of his overseas trips. At first, he installed it as his Bridgeport estate, but it required so much water that it reduced the water pressure in his home, so he had to get rid of it. At first, he offered it to the city of Bridgeport. When their response wasn't quite quick enough, Barnum got offended, and he decided instead to offer it to his hometown of Bethel. Well, they accepted it immediately. He paid for its transportation and installation at a spot that was named P.T. Barnum Square in downtown Bethel in his honor. When the time came to dedicate the freshly installed fountain in August of 1881, Pat says Barnum returned to Bethel and gave an hour-long talk from memory and without notes. This in spite of his advancing age and his poor health that had started to take over. People didn't know how much longer he was going to be around, but when the fountain dedication ceremony took place, he was fit as a fiddle, and he spoke probably for over an hour. And he recalled everyone he knew while he was here by name and told of exactly where they lived in Bethel. It's a remarkable speech. Well, P.T. Barnum visited Bethel one last time. It was two years before he passed away. At the age of 79, a lot of his oldest and dearest friends literally lined up to greet him. His friends were waiting for him on the front steps of what had been his family's tavern, the tavern that his parents ran. And one by one, these now old men who had been his childhood buddies came up and shook his hand. And they said, you know, Barnum was ecstatic that he felt like he had gone back in time and he, he was a kid again. And Pat tells a great story about that final visit. Barnum said he had one last place that he wanted to see and asked somebody to take him to it, something that brought his legendary life Full circle. He asked to be taken to the road that led to Ivy Island. He said, I want to see my Ivy Island one more time. And I just think that was a, a great story as well. That's it for this episode of Amazing Tales from Off and On Connecticut's Beaten Path. I want to thank my guests for this episode, Bethel Town historian Pat Wild and the executive director of the Danbury Museum and Historical Society, Bridget Gurton. Please follow me at my main podcast website, amazingtalesct.podbean.com. And also in between episodes, please check out my Facebook page at Amazing Tales CT. If you liked what you heard, spread the word with your family and friends. See you next time here on Amazing Tales from off and on Connecticut's beaten path. I'm Mike Allen. Be safe and stay healthy. Amazing Tales from off and on Connecticut's beaten path is a production of True North Associates, LLC. (laughs) 